This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's a Sunday kind of love. This is Maya Tan. Have you ever come across a film so strange that it makes you squirm? Something that's not quite horror, but bizarre even by standards of a fantasy movie. One movie that comes to mind is The Skin I Live In, directed by Pedro Almodovar and starring Antonio Banderas and Elena Anaya. It's about a brilliant plastic surgeon who, haunted by past tragedies, creates a type of synthetic skin that can withstand any kind of damage. I recently watched the short film Kakase by Malaysian director Difan Sina Norman, which is the focus of our episode today. Now, this film might come across to some of us as, well, a little disturbing, to say the least, a little cryptic and a lot bizarre, but still open to interpretation, I guess. So, Kakase tells the story of how a grieving botanist, played by Nasir Bilal Khan, struggles to revive his late wife, played by Fauzia Nawi. And at the end of the film, spoiler alert, he and his wife transmorph into different species of nature entirely. She into a flower and he into a bird. Yes, you heard me right. Now, Fauzia Nawi, of course, needs no introduction. She is an actor, director, host, singer, dancer, and she's famous for the movie Sayang Salma, and uh, recently was seen in the independent film Kolumpo. Nasir Bilal Khan, of course, is also an award-winning actor. With a lot of character, he's definitely very, very watchable. There's no real dialogue in the film, and the music, originally written by Dominique Bisignano and re-recorded by Nathan Ryle, further heightens the sense of disorientation and grief that Nasir Bilal Khan's character experiences. It's not an easy film to watch. In fact, it is quite hard on the viewer. However, come to the end of the film and you'll realise that Kakase is really a beautiful love story that's both raw and heartbreaking at the same time. Also, what I loved about this film was the familiar visuals. Very circa University Malaya or old school science labs from the 1970s. And somehow, it also reminded me, without any direct references whatsoever, to pop songs and album covers and pop stars and romances from the 70s where people wore bell bottoms and lovers took walks or posed for pictures in lit gardens. Old School or Not, Difan's Kakasi made it as a finalist at the Sundance Film Festival, not to mention making the rounds on a host of other international film festivals. I spoke to Difan recently about the creative process behind Kakasi and what he thinks of the current Malaysian film industry. Turns out the nightingale and bird imagery is actually a common symbolism for love in Iran. And the idea is that the mutual relationship between the bird and the flower is what keeps them growing. It's actually quite an elegant and beautiful metaphor. And according to Difan, who grew up in Iran, this imagery is what inspired Kakasi. I'm half Iranian. I'm half Malay. Growing up in Iran, you know, if it's your birthday, it's very common to give you a card. And then beyond birthday cards, there are cards that have this image of a singing nightingale to a flower. The conceptual idea behind this uh, singing bird and this 
flower is that the flower blossoms for this bird to continue singing and the bird sings for the flower to continue blooming. So it's kind of a connected relationship. It's a it's a symbiotic relationship. It's a it's love, right? So that is the inspiration to Kakase. Kakase in English is beloved, and the argument behind that is uh, you know who is the lover and who is the beloved? Is the flower the beloved or is the bird the beloved? It's really just this generic image that's available everywhere you go in Iran. It can be a birthday card, you know. It can be a wedding card. It can be a A card to express your condolences. It's just this really broad, palatable image that reflects the harmony of nature. You know, one could not do without the other. The more cosmetic part of the film is that this man is struggling to revive, you know, what he can of his wife. You know, there there are bits of it that are sure you can call it a bit of a Frankenstein situation, but you know, because the subject that I want to share from the bottom of my heart. You know, quite frankly, is a little bit esoteric, which is why I styled it in a way of a bit of a sci-fi, a bit of a suspense, a bit of a horror, simply, you know, to not make something that is not accessible. Kakase didn't exactly start out as the film that it finally became. The original storyline was planned to be a lot more innocuous, reminiscent of, in Defan's words, a French romantic film. It was the successive death. Of several family members, which kind of reminded him that death is not the rosy euphemism that our romantic and avoidant ways have taught us to believe. I wrote the story initially, and、um, you know, it was kind of a, a thing that I just liked, and it was inspired by this poetic image. And then I had my dad pass, my grandma pass, and my cousin, and it was sort of this rapid flurry of three generations passing in my family, and it made me think about death more pragmatically. In a way that I could fathom, when my dad passed, you know, my brother would ask me, you know, where's dad? And I would say, heaven. You know, it's sort of this like blanket answer you conjure in your own mind. It's an answer that you can provide, right? But my brother's eight, and you know, he would come back at me, where's heaven? What is heaven? Can we go there soon? You know, and then you start having to come up with ways of describing it more realistically. For example, in Kakase. He picks up, you know, religious texts, the Surah Yasin, for example, because that is simply what you do culturally, or you do because of adat, because of convention. But it may not necessarily be the blanket soothe for everyone. In Kakase, for example, he picks up the text, but you know, he's, you know, probably just like me. I I could read the text, but I probably wouldn't understand the words. So you try to arrive at this more primal sort of zikir or or prayer to understand what it is that's happening, right? And this is where he adopts the role of this singing bird, you know, this tone-deaf scientist man, who is singing from the bottom of his heart. And what happens is that you know he experiences a divine presence that you know he himself can't explain, or we can't explain, you know, or maybe we can explain. Maybe he's a botanist, and it's fine that he, you know, confronted what it is he confronted. You know, it's funny because when I wrote it, my dad was alive, and、uh, I live in LA. So he would call quite often. This was when Maxis had this special deal, like twenty cents. We would have, you know, back and forth conversations about the story. I what happened initially was that I wrote a story about my dad as a rubber tapper in primary school, and and then soon it evolved into other stories, and we would chat about it. And initially, I wrote the initial death scene as. In a very sort of romantic,、uh, like French way, you know, where there wasn't no threat, no harm, no real sadness. It was very、um, 
romantic and friendly. And then when it happened, when my dad passed, when my grandma passed, it was like, oh, this is not what death is. Kakase received funding from Finas, although the film was initially met with concerns about treading sensitive themes. I wrote the story in a classroom, actually. I took a writing class at UCLA. I took it with a lady by the name of Kim Krizan, who is the writer of uh, Before Sunset. It developed there, and then it became a script. And then uh, I pitched it to Finas. Initially, I wrote the script in English. The title was Beloved. The first time I pitched it, because I was in LA, I pitched it as an animatic, which is a sequence of storyboards with sound. I uploaded the video online and I gave it to Finas to consider. And of course, I wasn't there to present the idea in person. And I think there is a lot that goes missing in not being able to present the idea in person. So when I got rejected, you know, I decided to write the script in Malay. I, I translated the title to Kakase. Um, I did some script revision. And I came back and presented it again. And in the initial um, concern were that, okay, I'm sort of mixing um, spirituality with unsur uh, unsur tahyul, or um, the supernatural. There was a concern in that, you know, I could be treading in territory that could be sensitive. And all my response was that, if anything, the cosmetic theme that I'm approaching is no different to what exists in the horror genre of Malaysian films today. In fact, the moral and the pronunciation of the themes in my film are a lot more optimistic and are a lot more embracing of spirituality than readily available today. So we shot the film at the end of 2012. The grant was approved in June or July. Typically what happens is once you get the grant, you go straight into production. But what I did was I went into some form of a development because the film did possess some elements of special effects and visual effects. So there were a few things that we did want to try out. Finding the location was incredibly important to us. And um, yeah, we, we finally got it. I was able to engage with actors that I am fans of. I cannot remember how I got to know Nasser Bilan Khan, but we sat down in a coffee shop and it was as if we got each other right away. And he said, okay, fine, I'll take the script home and I'll read it. And uh, the next day he called and said, I'll do it. The chemistry was perfect. And you know, Ibu Fazia Nawi, she's such a veteran. I mean, we have veterans who are such pools of experience that it, it's such a shame not to reach out sometimes, you know, and, and I'm incredibly humbled that they were ready to work with someone like me, you know. Kakase premiered at Club Cine Malaysia and was screened at the Sundance Festival, also South by Southwest in 2014, and perhaps unsurprisingly, has been received with various reactions by viewers. So when you go through the pitching process with Finas, they require for you to describe what your objectives are. Quite honestly, I really wanted the film to go to an Iranian festival and Rotterdam, and more importantly, Club Sinifila Malaysia. The only reason why I thought of Rotterdam was because my previous film, uh, Juanita Cosmos, was accepted to the festival, so I thought, hey, that would be nice if I could, you know, share my new work with them. It didn't get into Rotterdam, it didn't get into Clermont, and it didn't get into any Iranian festival, but it got into Sundance and South by Southwest, and the first place we did show it at was Club Sinifila Malaysia. You know, it's funny because some people either really like it or some people are really somewhat repulsed by how um, abstract it can be. And I use abstract very loosely. To me, it's not abstract because I know what it is I'm trying to convey. But I mean, my one IMDb review says, if you like screensavers, you're going to like this film. 
And I mean, if you ask me honestly, I love those reviews because it's, it's just nice to have someone even, you know, decide to sit behind a keyboard and type something about your film. There seems to be a widespread idea that there's a lack of funding for the local film industry. But according to Difan, this is not the case. Difan is excited about contributing to the growing local film industry. And in fact, he's got some films in the works for us. There is a lot of funding right now. In fact, there is a lot of healthy policy-based efforts from FINAS, from MDEC, from SKMM. It's really incumbent upon the filmmakers right now to make best with what it is that is available. You know, I think it's also very important to acknowledge that we are a developing nation and our filmmaking industry is a reflection of that. You know, to quote, uh, I think it was Lino Broca, the Filipino filmmaker who said, uh, this was in the early 80s, he said, the state of filmmaking in the Philippines is the state of the country, you know, which is, we're not Hollywood, we're not Bollywood, we're not, you know, Iranian cinema, but we are moving in that direction. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. If you want the Malaysian film industry, you have to contribute to it and positively as well, you know. I think we've arrived at a point where technology is available. We've arrived to a point where our values has to be addressed to pair ourselves in a way that can be complementary for us to move forward together. Perhaps we can start less complaining about what is not available and discuss about what is available. For example, I mean, there are script writers in Los Angeles who have eight scripts and are serving coffee. If you get rejected once, try again, you know. I'm definitely going to face a lot of rejection in the future, and, you know, it's part of the deal. When I dream, it's over here. You know, even though I, I have been in Los Angeles for about 10 years, I became more Malaysian living in Los Angeles than I ever was over here. Because when you're away, you tend to want to reflect more on who you are. I think it's more exciting to be a part of something that is growing as compared to something that is, is already fixed and requires changing. You know, I was walking by Sekolah Meninggal Bukit Bandaraya, and they had this beautiful mural of a construction dudes and there's the MRT passing through and if I'm not mistaken there's also a spaceman floating and I thought I want to be a part of that country I mean it's funny that I don't see enough of those murals anymore you know we become so jaded we forget to notice that hey we are still living we are still able to um, figure things out together right now I've got two stories one is a short one is a feature the feature script I began writing in February of last year 2014 Right after I left Sundance in January of 2014, I tried to make it a point to m try best to get into the Sundance Screenwriters Lab. And I wrote a story and submitted it. And then one day I got an email saying, hey, you made it to round two, which is the final round into the Screenwriters Lab. And I, I got super excited. I submitted the whole screenplay. Of course, I didn't make the final round, but it was a nice vouch just to think that I was able to make it to round two. So that's the story I'm working on right now. And I've been really extremely fortunate to meet some amazing people here in Malaysia, people who want to make a positive contribution to this industry. So more immediately, I will be working on a, a short. I wrote this short story as a way to flush my mind off of my feature. It's a story that takes place in the year of a goat and uh, Raya Korban. So hopefully I'll be able to collaborate with the same collaborators from Kakase. We're really looking forward to what Difan has to offer in future. And two more films from talented Malaysian filmmakers like him in future. A Sunny Kind of Love continues right after this on BFM 89.9.
It's a Sunday kind of love. Happy Sunday. I'm Maya Tan. I'm still on the topic of bizarre love stories. I recently came across a wonderful track that I'd like to play for you right now. I Troll the Megahertz is the title track of a 2003 album by English singer-songwriter Paddy McAloon. It's a debut solo album from Paddy McAloon and it marks a significant change in style from his work previously with the band Prefab Sprout. So a little bit of history about this track. Due to congenital disease, McLoon was left nearly blind for some time as he had to detach both of his retinas one after another and he was unable to read or work in his normal way. So he took to listening to late night radio talk shows and documentaries and McLoon used source material from what he heard to create what he describes as a radio play or a short movie. So I Troll the Megahertz features dialogue found on the radio along with words created by McLoon. And here it is. I troll the megahertz, Paddy McAloon. joyful mysteries before the appearance of ether trying to capture the elusive the farm where the crippled horses heal the woods where autumn is reversed and the longing for bliss in the arms of some beloved from the past i said your daddy loves you i said your daddy loves you very much he just doesn't want to live with us anymore pity on you. She is Mother Teresa walking among the poor, and her eyes have attained night vision. In an orchard, drenched in blue light, she changes your bandages and soothes you. All day her voice is balm, then she lowers you into the sunset. Hers is the wingspan of the quotidian angel, so her feet are sore from the walk to the well of human kindness. But she gives you a name and you grow into it. Whether a tramp of the low road or a prince riding through Wagnerian opera, you learn some, if not all, of the language. 
and these are the footsteps you follow, the tracks of impossible love. Charlemagne, they are hanging photographs of rap artists and minor royalty. All cigarettes have been airbrushed from these pictures, making everyone a liar and saving no one from their folly. As proud as Lucifer, I do nothing to hide my kerosene dress and flint eyes, which, with one steady look, are able to restore to these images their carcinogenic threat. So what if this is largely bravado? I have only 12 days in Paris, and I'm waiting for life to start. I'm setting out my stall behind a sheet of dark hair, and you, the hostage of crazed hormones, will be driven to say, I am the next poet laureate, and she is the cherry Madonna, and all of the summer is hers.
first I don't notice you, or the color of your hair, or your readiness to laugh. I am tying a shoelace, or finding the pavement fascinating when the comet thrills the sky. Ever the dull alchemist, I have before me all the necessary elements. It is their combination that eludes me. Forgive me. I am sleepwalking. I am jangling along to some song of the moment, suffering its sweetness, luxuriating in its feeble approximation of starlight. Meanwhile, there is a real world. Trains are late. Doctors are breaking bad news. But I am living in a lullaby. You might be huddled in a doorway, on the make, or just getting by, but I don't see it. You are my one shot at glory. Soon I will read in your expression, warmth, encouragement, assent. From an acorn of interest I will cultivate whole forests of affection. I will analyze your gestures like centuries of scholars poring over Jesus' words. Anything that doesn't fit my narrow interpretation, I will carelessly discard. For I'm careless. I'm shameless. And mayday, mayday, watch the needle leave the dial. I'm reckless. I'm telling myself the story of my life. co-conspirator. If I am dizzy, I will call it rapture. If I am low, I will attribute it to your absence, noting your tidal effect upon my moods. Oblivious to the opinions of neighbors, I will bark at the moon like a dog. In short, I'm asking to be scalded. It is the onset of fever. Yesterday, they took a census. Boasting, I said, I live two doors down from joy, 
Today, bewildered and sarcastic, I phone them and ask, Isn't it obvious? This slum is empty. Repeat after me, happiness is only a habit. I'm listening to the face in the mirror, but I don't think I believe what she's telling me. Her words are modern, but her eyes have been weeping in gardens and grottos since the Middle Ages. This is the aftermath of fever. I cool the palms of my hands upon the bars of an imaginary iron gate. Only by an extreme act of will can I avoid becoming a character in a country song. Lord, you gave me nothing, then you took it all away. These are the sorrowful mysteries, and I have to pay attention. In a chamber of my heart sits an accountant. He is frowning and waving red paper at me. I go to the window for air. the scent of apples. I hunger for a taste, but I can't see the orchard for the rain.
There are two ways of looking at this. The first is to accept that you are gone and to light a candle at the shrine of amnesia. I could even cheat. In the subterranean world of anesthetics, sad white canoes are forever sailing downstream in the early hours of the morning. Tell the stars I'm coming. Make them leave a space for me. Whether bones or dusts or ashes, once among them, I'll be free. It may make a glamorous song, but it's a dark train of thought with too many carriages. There is, of course, another way of looking at this. Your daddy loves you. I said, your daddy loves you very much. He just doesn't want to live with us anymore. I'm telling myself the story of my life.
By day and night, fancy electronic dishes are trained on the heavens. They are listening for smudged echoes of the moment of creation. They are listening for the ghost of a chance. They may help us make sense of who we are and where we came from. And as a compassionate side effect, teach us that nothing is ever lost. I last saw you, your signal urgent but breaking, before you became cotton in a blizzard, a plane coming down behind enemy lines. Well, I don't know about you, but that kind of melted my brains. If you'd like to hear more, there's a whole album of it. I Troll the Megahertz is the name of the album by Patty McLoon. Before I go, I have to say this episode would not have been possible without the contribution of Josie Liu and Othniel Ting. The Sunny Kind of Love returns next week. I'm Maya Tan. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.